and I'm going to preach to the one and only Mr. Hank Folk, and you guys get to hear and listen in to a sermon given directly to Hank. After that, we're going to have a time of external affirmation of an internal call that's been on Hank's life for the last seven or eight years. And so if you've been able to witness God's work in Hank's life and God has used this man in your life, then you'll be able to speak to that. And then we will finish everything off with prayer and uh, we will commission him as an elder pastor. It's a great privilege to be able to be a part of this time and this gathering. I'm going to pray and ask for the Lord's help and trust that he gives it. And uh, Hank and Marie, we love you both, and uh, it's an honor to preach to you here in a second. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for everyone that's here and what they represent to Hank and Marie and to Millie and Johnny and Adelie. God, I thank you for this family. I thank you for your, the gift that you've just put on them of just each other. The gift that Marie is to Hank and the gift that Hank is to Marie and that their kids are to them. And then how this family is just a gift to all of us. We really enjoy them and we see your grace at work in their life. God, I thank you that they're not superficial or fake. They're authentic about their need and their love for you. And I thank you for that. It's a privilege to know them and it's going to be an honor to open up your word again out of 1 Peter. And I trust that you're going to help me preach and to preach faithfully. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. We are at the ordination of Hank Falk. The sermon title is Five Burdens to Bear. Hank, you're going to have five burdens to bear from 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1 through 4. Let me read the verses and then dig into it deeply. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ as well as a partaker in the glory that's going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you'll receive the unfading crown of glory. We just went over John chapter 21. And Peter now is going to teach us and teach you, Hank, what he learned on that walk and conversation with Jesus that day. It was seared into his mind, and the Holy Spirit wouldn't let him let it go. And he gives it to us even here today. And today is a supernatural day. It's not a natural day. It's supernatural because the Holy Spirit of God, although we are saying these words and we are going to pray over you and we're going to say you are now commissioned as a pastor of this church, it is the Holy Spirit, according to Acts, that is making you an overseer. This is a supernatural Sunday and supernatural event that we're witnessing. It's a high and holy and noble calling. Few things in this world are noble, but this is a noble calling. So let's consider what Pastor Peter has to say to Mr. Hank Falk today. Five burdens to bear. Burden one, you're called, Hank, to live a life of humility. A life of humility. In chapter 5, verse 1, Peter calls himself a fellow elder. A fellow elder. Of all people who could have appealed to his apostleship and authority, it would have been Peter. Peter could appeal to, hey, buddy, you remember that day sitting with Jesus? Remember who it was that said, feed and tend and feed my sheep? That was me. He could have called rank, he could have called himself and made sure everybody knew that he was apostle, but he wanted to know that he, and wanted them to know, 
that he was a fellow elder. It's a hidden truth. It's a hidden nugget of truth in these words. But the truth of the call of the pastorate is that it is a humble call. We don't get to claim position or status. This is not a position of privilege. This is not a call of prominence. It's a call of humility. Hank, welcome to the rest of your life. The rest of your life is you're committed to a humble call, a humble life. Humility, that is your life's call. Your charge here today, every day from this day forward, is, to, is a call to put to death the flesh inside of you. Put to death that desire that's in you and me and in all of us, that desire for recognition and applause and praise. Put to death the need for people to recognize your calling, your gifting and wisdom. So your call and your commitment before God and others is to live a life for the glory of God and not for the glory of Hank Folk. The call to take humility in the pastorate seriously is a hard, hard call. Well-meaning people seeking power themselves will flatter you so that you will be impressed by them. When they do, when you are flattered, don't believe them. Burden two, be a witness. Be a witness. We see in verse one, and a, Peter calls himself, and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that's going to be revealed. Hank, burden number two, what you're called to be is a witness. Now, Peter says two things about himself here. He was the witnesses, witness of the sufferings of Christ. He witnessed the very suffering of Christ. It's interesting that he doesn't focus on Christ's resurrection here, but on his sufferings. He, wit he was a witness of those sufferings. And also, he's confident that he's a partaker in the glory that's going to be revealed. Now, one thing's certain. You cannot be a witness in the same way that Peter is a witness. You can't physically, with your eyes, witness Jesus, his life, and his sufferings, and his death, and his resurrection. But you do know of his suffering. And you know what his suffering is about. You are a witness to it. All the days of your life, your glad burden to bear is to never get over, or past, or bored with, or tired with the sufferings of Christ. You are a witness of Christ's sufferings and its meaning. Get in the Bible and be a witness of Jesus, His death in your place. He was thinking of you, even right now, this millisecond. Hank, my brother, and He died for you. His suffering was in your place and it was for you. You are also a partaker of the glory like Peter was that's going to be revealed. Glory is coming and it's coming for you. Glory. You're a partaker of that glory. A man who has an eye on the sufferings of Christ and another eye on future glory is a man that will not be easily shaken. Sufferings of Christ, future glory, not easily shaken. Your second burden to bear out of 1 Peter chapter 5 is to be a witness. Be a witness. Your third burden to bear is to shepherd the flock of God that's among you. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. We see it in verse 2. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. So that's your third burden. Never forget what we just talked about from John 21. These people right here, me as I serve alongside of you and am a recipient of your care, 
These people belong to God. You are called to shepherd the flock of God upon, of, among you. Our call is not, I repeat, our call is not, and your call is not, to give people vision. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said these words in his book, Life Together. God hates visionary dreaming. It makes the dreamer proud and pretentious. The man who fashions as a visionary ideal of a community demands that that vision be realized by God, by others, and by himself. He enters the community of Christians with his demands and sets up his own laws and judges the brethren and God accordingly. He stands adamant, a living reproach to all in the circle of the brethren. He acts as if he is the creator of the Christian community and as if his dream binds men together. When things don't go his way, he calls the effort a failure. When his ideal picture is destroyed, he sees the community going to smash. He, so he becomes first an accuser of the brethren, then an accuser of God, and finally the despairing accuser of himself. The church does not need an accuser of the brethren. The church needs men who will stand up and shepherd God's flock. You are not a CEO implementing vision. You are commissioned to a life of blue-collar work called shepherding God's flock. Shepherd the flock of God among you. Among you is important because the first flock or the first people that you are, are, are to you, help, you are held responsible to care for is Marie and your children when they become Christians. They are your first flock. They're the first ones among you. So before anybody else is among you, right here, this row and wherever the other kids are, right somewhere in here, among you, they are your first responsibility and priority. The Folk family is among you before the Christchurch Carbondale family is among you. And your family is awesome. You have an awesome family. The people who know the Folk family look at you guys and respect and love you. We love you dearly. And that, I believe, is, will be echoed by anybody who knows you. And it's not because you guys are perfect. You guys would be quick to admit that you're not. In fact, I've heard that you guys fight every once in a while. <laughs> Just like all of us. And yet, the grace of God is so clearly over your life. Your kids are amazing. Uh, Marie, you and the kids, it's an amazing thing because it, it's weird. In any other call or profession, you can't be disqualified, or very few can you be disqualified if your family's a mess. But a part of your qualification into this call is that your family is a godly, grace-filled family. And they love you well, and they love Jesus well. And so we love you all and are thankful for you. They are the first family among you. Your family should never think, well, I just, I love I love Jesus, but I just don't like the church because it stole my dad from me. That will not be the case. That will not be the case. The elder's wife and kids, they truly do have skin in the game. They love Jesus, and we are witnesses of that. And so we're excited to see God grow the folk family. Hank, your glorious burden to bear is to be a shepherd in your home before it is our church. Neglect of this is disqualifying. Danny Aiken says this, and it's a sad truth, but he said, many pastors have a mistress and her name is the church. May it not be with you. And then after that, you're called to shepherd this church family. This is the church you're called to. This is the church that's among you. Not the church down the road. Not the church in the city. Not the church in southern Illinois. This local assembly, warts and all, 
stinkiness and all. This is the family that you are called to shepherd and to love. When things at our church get tough, and they will at some point or another, it can be easy in the pastorate to become accusers of the church, wishing that we had an easier church to shepherd. Or a bigger church, or a smaller church, or a nicer church, or whatever fill-in-the-blank kind of church, or a cooler church, or a less complaining church, or whatever it may be. Not that we are those things, we are not. But there's going to be a time, believe it or not, that we're going to hit some difficult seasons. But this is the church that's among you. Again, Dietrich Bonhoeffer in Life Together, he says this, A pastor should not complain about his congregation, certainly never to other people, but also not to God. A congregation has not been entrusted in him in order that he should become its accuser before God and men. When a person becomes alienated from Christian community in which he has been placed and begins to raise complaints about it, he had better examine himself first to see whether the trouble is not due to his wish dream that should be shattered by God. And if this be the case, let him thank God for leading him into this predicament. But if not... Let him nevertheless guard against ever becoming an accuser of the congregation before God. Let, her, let him rather accuse himself for his unbelief. Let him pray to God for understanding of his own failure in particular sin. And pray that he may not wrong his brethren. Let him, in the consciousness of his own guilt, make intercession for the brethren. Let him do what he is committed to do and thank God. We do not become the accuser of the brethren. And there's times, there are times in pastoral ministry, it can be frustrating you're frustrated with yourself. You're frustrated with people. It's just, there's a, there are people you're saying you probably heard church would be great if it weren't for the people. There's some time these people can really be annoying. Like, and me too. You know how many people in this room that I've annoyed start with my wife? My goodness. So we don't become the accuser. We are the church's lover. We love her, the church. But we don't use her or misuse her, and we definitely don't exercise oversight in a domineering way, which is burden number four. Burden number four, exercise oversight. We see it right here in the text. Shepherd the flock of God that's among you, exercising oversight. Oversight. That's burden number four. But what is biblical oversight? Because we've all seen models of church ministry before at some time or another. We say, well, we've seen elders and pastor models where there's elders and deacons. We're going to preach on this in a few weeks. And what we saw was a, a group of power-hungry men who did some wrong things and, and really hurt a lot of people. And so what ends up happening is people want to guard themselves against that because there have been people who have domineered and, and, and led in oversight in a way that's not healthy. But your burden to bear is to exercise biblical oversight, which is three primary things. It's not under compulsion. Exercising oversight, not under compulsion, not under compulsion, willingly. And here's what I know about you. I know you have a godly desire for this. I know that years ago you felt God's call into the ministry. You go up to St. Louis, you don't like it up there, and you don't give up. You come back. And you come continuing to serve and to love God's people, doing whatever you could do to serve. You've been pursuing this for years. You've been committed for the last two years to doing whatever we've asked, even when you're confused about what we have, we've asked. And you've done it willingly. You've not done it under compulsion. But there will be times that you don't like this call, this call that God has placed on your life. I promise you there will be times when you don't like it. But I want you to remember today, right now, 
that you willingly answered God's call on your life. You remember this day. You go back to it and say, you know, I remember God called me to this and I will not quit. I will not quit with this. I will shepherd the flock of God among me and not under compulsion. Secondly, you're not to exercise over oversight for shameful gain. And here's the deal. I watched you over the last year. Money is not evil, but money speaks to the heart. It really does. It's not evil, but it speaks to the heart. Hank has made some tough calls over the last year. And I've prayed for him and watched him. And I admire greatly the decisions you've made over the last year. And part of the reason I feel so confident and so honored to be able to preach this today is because, Hank, you're not a slave of money. And that's evident in your life. Never lose that. It is seductive. Money always will be. It speaks to the heart. I give life. I give life. I give life. I give life. It's a tool to be used, but it's not a God to be served. And unfortunately, there are many pastors who don't understand that. The third way to exercise biblical oversight is to not be domineering. Not domineering over those in your charge, but examples of the flock. Not domineering. These people, myself included, as I submit to you as a pastor of mine, are in your charge and they're under your care. They are yours to serve and to love and to care for. They are not yours to use or abuse. And too often, pastors see congregations, see congregations for tools for their own emotional needs for affirmation. And so they serve and do all that they do so they get praise from people. I've done it before. I've heard it called fishing for comments. And I can't tell you how many times I've preached. I get in the car and say, hey, baby, how was that? And you know what I'm doing? Just like a man who said this, I'm still in this kind of like illustration. It's a guy named, I think it was Dave Harvey. You go and you just fish for compliments. Hey, baby, how was that? And you're wanting to say, oh, honey, that was the best sermon I've ever heard in my life. And anymore, Jordan doesn't even entertain the thought. She's not going to let me fish and just use her for a compliment. We can use people to help affirm ourselves. That is not our call. That's actually domineering. And it's using people for things that we should be getting from God, wanting to get it from people. Your burden five to bear is be an example. It says it right there again. Plain, clear, read it for yourself and anybody listening in see it. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. Be an example. Hank, you're called to live an exemplary life. Men, young and old, because in the scale of life, we're young men. I'm young. We need older men here as well. But you are a man, 31, 31 years old, and your life should be exemplary in such a way that young and old look to you and they say, you know what? I want to be like that man. I want to live that way. I want to be like Hank Folk, and I want to follow him as he follows Christ. And I'll tell you this, I'll gladly follow you. You're an exemplary life to me. I learn from you, and I plan on continuing to learn from you. I'm thankful for you. Being an example means showing people what dependence on Christ looks like. The way I want to follow you and the way I hope that you lead is a is being a man who knows how much he needs Jesus and never forgets it. 
who you just love, you're just bonkers over Jesus. You just love him. And you keep coming back to him, and you keep coming back to him knowing that he's never left and never will leave. For you to be an example, you'll need no confidence in yourself, none whatsoever. Not a, I can do it, I can be it, I'm the man mentality, but a, he can do it, he's the man mentality, Jesus. You need no confidence in yourself and great confidence in Christ. I want you for a second to consider the, or the, the book of James. The book of James sends out a warning to all of us who would want to be teachers, and you to this day, right now. Because James says this, Not many of you should become teachers, brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Warning! Not many of you should want to do this. Judgment's coming. God's judgment is coming. This is the only life calling that God says warrants a greater judgment. So whatever you do, don't desire to be a teacher of God's word unless you absolutely know God has called you to the work. Do anything else but this. Because greater judgment's coming. But tucked inside of this verse, here's what's so wonderful about this verse. When you hear that rightly, and I hear that rightly, you know what it should do? It should make you shake in those cowboy boots. Shake and tremble inside. Because if that's true, then you desperately need Jesus. Then you need to cling to Him and run to Him, because if I'm going to be judged with a greater strictness, then I desperately need Jesus, because I can't be judged by a greater strictness apart from Him. I desperately, desperately need Him. And I think this is a treasure trove for pastors to dive into, to say, don't you dare enter into this lightly, but don't you dare think you're, on, you're in this on your own. You're going to be judged with greater strictness, so cling to Jesus, knowing that He is clinging to you. This passage should drive us to Jesus, not to our, ourselves, our own integrity, our, our effort to teach. It should drive us time and time again, trembling and with great joy to Jesus. Hank, run to Jesus. The example we set is not one of self-confidence, but a life of imperfectly putting our confidence in Christ. Hank, this is your fifth burden to bear. Be an example. But it doesn't stop. This is glorious. Verse 4, And when the chief shepherd appears, you'll receive the unfading crown of glory. So, okay, we've got to always remember, these are Jesus' sheep, we are under-shepherds, and Jesus is the chief shepherd. He's the lead pastor of this church, and I need to beat that into my mind over and over and over again until I get it. He is the lead pastor of this church, always will be. And he's the lead pastor of every church, and we, by God's grace, are under-shepherds. He's the lead pastor, we are the under-shepherd pastors, and it's the same in every church. And Jesus is going to appear, he's going to come back. And when he comes back, you are going to receive something. It's coming your way. It's unstoppable. It, it will come to you. You will come to it. And it is an unfading crown of glory. Okay, here's the deal. There was a time in our country where shepherding, the work of pastoring, brought external honor. Where people looked at the work clergy, a clergyman, and looked at it with honor. That day is long gone. To do this is to invite suspicion on your life from the world. It's not a glorious call anymore. It just isn't. 
There's almost anything in our world that's more respectable than being a pastor. It's just true. We don't get into this for the glory now. Do anything but be a pastor if you want to be looked at with integrity in this world. From the world's eyes. You can look up statistics on this, Gallup polls, and you name it. Of most respected positions and most expected call at work and all that kind of stuff. Pastor is near the bottom of the list. Used to be near the top. Shepherding is not glorious. Shepherding. Hanging out with sheep. Recognizing that you are a sheep. In this world, as I said, it's no longer respected. To take up this call is to invite suspicion of character from the world, and sadly, sometimes from hurt and wounded believers, they will be suspect of you from even believers who will look at you and think, what's his real angle? Does he really love me? And to accept this call is to accept that even into your life. Shepherding is hard. It's often confusing. You're willingly looking at this group of people at our church, Christ Church Carbondale, and you're saying, I will take responsibility for you. I won't demand anything from you, but I will accept responsibility for you. Your problems are going to be my problems. Your sorrows, they're going to be my sorrows. Your joys, they're going to be my joys. This will reveal, this call will reveal in you your own weaknesses, your own sin. Because Christians still deal with the flesh, you will be hurt, possibly. Most assuredly, you will be hurt in pastoral ministry. When a member sins and you have to confront them, you open up yourself to the possibility of the pain of seeing them run off. And I have seen that personally, and I know you have as well. This call is almost as unglorious as it gets now. But when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. This call is worth it. When the chief shepherd appears, this is what you will receive, the unfading crown of glory from Jesus Himself. So what may be unglorious now, you're banking on it. When Christ comes, it's all worth it. This call, this even inviting myself into the arrows of other people and the enemy and my flesh rising up inside of me, it's worth it all. This call is noble. This is what you're called to. Hank, on this day, October 21st, 2018, you are charged with these burdens to bear. And it's not just me, it's not just this congregation, it's not just your family that's charging you with these burdens. It is, in fact, the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 20, verse 28 and 29 says this, Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which He obtained with His own blood. The Holy Spirit has made you overseers. It's the exact same thing as elder or pastor. The Holy Spirit is doing something today. We may be doing this ceremony, and we may be laying on the hands, and we may be praying, but it is in fact the Holy Spirit at work. So you bear these burdens now and the rest of your life, knowing confidently that Jesus has bore your bur burdens for you. You bear these burdens, knowing confidently that Jesus has borne your burdens. 
You bear these burdens, knowing confidently that Jesus has bore your burdens in your place and that He right now and forever will be the shepherd of your soul. Step up to the call in which God has called you. Let me pray. Father, I thank You for this passage of Scripture. I thank You that it is for Hank today. I thank You for this glorious call that it is called glorious and noble by You. And if the world looks at ministry and Christians in a certain way, what does it matter if the God of the universe says, Son, Hank, what you're doing today, this is noble. This is good. I'm calling you to this. I called you years ago, son. And now everybody here sees this. Your family, your friends, your church, they see it. They recognize it. And they're going to affirm what I put inside of you so many years ago.